there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? I'm Don Hall and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. Friendly advice to a lot of young men. Go to Tibet, ride a camel, read the Bible, dye your shoes blue, grow a beard, circle the world in a paper canoe, subscribe to the Saturday Evening Post, chew on the left side of your mouth only, marry a woman with one leg and shave with a straight razor, and carve your name in her arm, brush your teeth with gasoline, Sleep all day and climb trees at night. Be a monk and drink buckshot and beer. Hold your head under water and play the violin. Do a belly dance before pink candles. Kill your dog, run for mayor, live in a barrel. Break your head with a hatchet. Plant tulips in the rain. But don't write... That was Charles Bukowski reading Friendly Advice to a Lot of Young Men. Now, if you aren't familiar with both the legend of Charles Bukowski or his prodigious body of work, I'd suggest that you should be. Now, when Bukowski was 23, his short story, Aftermath of a Lengthy Rejection Slip, was published in Story Magazine. Two years later, another short story that he wrote, 20 Tanks from Castledown, was published by the Black Sun Press in issue three of Portfolio and Intercontinental Quarterly, which was just a limited-run, loose-leaf broadside collection printed in 1946. He didn't really break into the literary world, and failing to do so, he grew disillusioned with the publication process and quit writing for almost a decade, a time that he referred to as a 10-year drunk. These lost years form the basis of his later semi-autobiographical chronicles, and there are fictionalized versions of Bukowski's life through his highly stylized alter ego, Henry Chinaski. In the 60s, Bukowski, Bukowski started writing poems. He was working in the post office, and we'd just send out the only copies to underground magazines almost daily. It was as if he was writing them down and then tossing in the wind in hopes or despair. We don't know if it was either, but E.V. Griffith, editor of Hearst Press, got some of these and decided they were amazing and immediately began publishing the work. By 1967, Bukowski was hired by Open City, a Los Angeles-based underground newspaper, to write Notes of a Dirty Old Man, and in 1969, the column was picked up by the Los Angeles Free Press as well as NOLA Express in New Orleans. At 49 years old, Bukowski left his longtime job at the post office and committed himself to writing full-time. I have one of two choices, he wrote. 
stay in the post office and go crazy, or stay out here and play at writer and starve. I have decided to starve. Yes, he was a notorious drunk and misogynist. He was also one of the most influential writers of his time. One reviewer noted, quote, Bukowski continued to be, thanks to his antics and deliberate clownish performances, the king of the underground and the epitome of the littles in ensuing decades, stressing his loyalty to those small press editors who had at first championed his work and consolidating his presence in the new ventures such as New York Quarterly, Chiron Review, or Slipstream, unquote. During my worst times, on the park benches, in the jails, or living with whores. I always had this certain contentment. I wouldn't call it happiness. It was more of an inner balance that settled for whatever was occurring. And it helped in the factories and when relationships went wrong with the girls. It helped through the wars and the hangovers, and the back alley fights, and the hospitals. To awaken in a cheap room in a strange city, and pull up the shade. This was the craziest kind of contentment. And to walk across the floor, to an old dresser with a cracked mirror, and see myself ugly and grinning at it all. What matters most is how well you walk through the fire. most is how well you walk through the fire. That was How Is Your Heart by Charles Bukowski, read by Guido Tolio Piano Urquiza. Now when change comes, and change always comes, the question one must ask is whether one can weather whatever storm accompanies that change. There's always a storm that comes with the change. And by the time I had my 45th birthday, the writing was pretty much on the wall on two fronts. Breeze, my supervisor at WBEZ, was increasingly desperate and had taken to undercutting me at the public radio mines and wasn't careful enough to avoid me finding out. I acquired emails and memos of her stating clearly that much of the work I had done for the past two years was actually to her credit, and a very specific memo declaring the senior management that I was unfit to act as project manager on any events. The second front was Alice. I mean, I pretty much had enough. I loved her, I really did, but don't misunderstand that, but the idea of living with her had just become like a prison sentence. And if there was a third front, and there always seems to be a third front, 
the rule of threes. It was the increasingly acrimonious rift between longtime CEO of WBEZ, Tori Malatia, and the WBEZ board of directors. So the table was set, the tents were pegged, and the tsunami off the coast was winding up. First to go was Breeze. She'd slowly begun alienating more and more of our colleagues, and when I got my hands on her backstabbing, I went straight to our boss. I asked him to lunch and told him it was to determine my staying on at the station or not. So we grabbed some sandwiches. We went up to the Crystal Gardens on the Navy Pier. Surrounded by plant life and tourists, I sat facing him. I knew that I might be signing my resignation just by saying what I was going to say. I hate to do this. Do what, he asked. Deliver an ultimatum. I hate ultimatums. But I gotta tell you, if she's my superior come July, I'm leaving. I just can't take this anymore. He got an odd look on his face and then he smiled. He said, Don, the only reason she hasn't been let go is that you've been such a loyal ally to her. You never complain about her. And upper management was worried that we'd lose you too if we let her go and that would just leave the department bereft. So give me a month. In three days, she was no longer my supervisor. In a month, she was no longer employed in Chicago. It seemed that he was right. The upper cats had been considering canning her for months, but the one holdout, the only person in the building not complaining about her, was me. And I was the only one who worked most closely with her, so when I defected, apparently that decision was pretty easy. What's your definition of love? Love? You know when you see a fog in the morning when you wake up before the sun comes out? It's just for a little while and then it burns away. Really? Absolutely. It burns away? Yeah. <laughs> Quickly. It's just love is a fog that burns with the first daylight of reality. Shortly thereafter, I decided I had to leave Alice. She'd taken to covertly reading my emails when I was at work, looking through my texts, so I had to go analog. So I spent my lunch hours at work looking for a new apartment and finally found a two-bedroom in Uptown that I could afford, signed a lease, but I had to wait a month before I could move in. Most of my stuff was still packed in boxes in her basement because she didn't want any of my stuff in the house, so that part was pretty much taken care of. I only actually made it a week of the month. One night after a few of her friends coming over and Alice regaling them with the tale of our last breakup and her coming over and punching me in the face and what a complete asshole I was and how it was all my fault, all without me allowing me to speak a word in my defense because if I said anything, those were the rules, if I said anything about that, then she would break up with me. But if I allowed her to say these things without, I. I just, I couldn't take it, I had, to, I had to leave. So that night I told her I was leaving and proceeded to pack a suitcase. She went nuts, she flipped out. She came over crying and sat inside my suitcase on the floor in order to prevent me from packing some clothes. Screaming it on one end what a piece of shit I was, on the other end how much she loved me. I started laughing and I know that's a crap move. It's a shitty thing in that situation to start laughing but the sight of her sitting in my suitcase on the floor on one hand calling me names and the other hand telling me how amazing I am. But it just, it, I just, this was funny. Eventually she resigned herself and I managed to pack a bag. I left, but I had no idea where I was going. So I called a longtime friend, David Fink. David is one of the nicest, sweetest guys I've ever known in my life. Um, he's just 
He's just tits. He's awesome. And I told him what happened. Well, first he was thrilled that I'd left her. He immediately offered up the room in his downstairs uh, in in the, the loop, provided that I did not tell Alice where I was staying. All right, so I stayed in his basement. I had three weeks until I could officially move to Uptown, so I basically was like on the lam. No one knew where I was staying but David, and uh, then I went to work because it was close. Now, during my undercover situation, I arranged with her to give me a day to come and get all my stuff with a moving van and go to my new place, and at first she was kind of shitty about it, and then she ended up being actually, at the end of it, very gracious um, and took the day off and you know and I, I got to pack all my stuff and get out of there it was nice so finally I'm in a new apartment alone really for the first time in a long while and I began to relax no more breeze at work no more Alice at home things were looking up and that third front the third front the WBEZ board not there not shortly thereafter unceremoniously gave Tory the axe not even in allowing him the opportunity to address the staff or even have a going away party it was pretty ugly and disrespectful. Tory was a visionary. He had co-created This American Life, Sound Opinions, and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. The staff was shocked. I corresponded with him, and I, I ended up, even though he said no, I threw him a party at Haymarket Pub and Brewery anyway on my dime. Well, the place was packed, and Tory showed up, so I hooked up the PA, and people gave speeches and drank and toasted the most amazing public radio innovator in the history of the medium. I squared my shoulders, smiled grimly, and I soldiered on. And for my 46th birthday, it was Bukowski who spoke to me. Bukowski, he told me what I would ink on my left shoulder and the only tattoo I have with any color, the tattoo artist and tattoo tattoo frog, convinced me that he wanted to put uh, next to the phrase, a candle with a, a color flame. So the only color, and he convinced me, and it looks great, uh, the only color on, on any of my tattoos is of the flame with a candle next to the phrase, what matters most is how well you walk through the fire. At the time, I wrote, a certain contentment, inner balance, an acceptance of the world both on its own terms and the terms we would like it to be. As time marches on, and it marches, it's a stealthy kind of march, but it moves quickly and relentlessly, without any sign of slowing or speeding up, consistent and ongoing. As time marches on, the folly of railing against the world and its ways is my own. And yet, and yet as I grow older day by day, the realities assail my sense of optimism. The idiocies of men and women beat upon the very skull of my desire to live in a world of justice and decency and honesty and render me defeated, except for that inner balance, that certain contentment of living. I might just crawl into my shell and let the world destroy itself in my absence. I might just squirrel hole away and have nothing to do with the world with my only contribution being my own ends, my own needs, my own peace and quiet. But what, are, what matters most is not one's comfort or security or longevity. What matters most is how well you walk through the fire and no one walks through fire from within the four walls of seclusion. No one walks through the fire of experience and failure and triumph and glory by playing it safe.
And that is, um, we're over halfway there with the ink, uh, but we've got a lot of ground to cover with the WDP Theater in the 90s, so do me a favor. If you're enjoying uh, these stories, go to Apple Podcasts and rate the show. It helps get others interested in listening, and it would mean a lot to me. So with that in mind, thanks for listening today, and I'll hit you next week. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud, or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys. Peculiar Journeys.